Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, March the 29th, 2022. It is currently 9.45 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. We're currently outside. We have some thunderstorms in the area. Hopefully, we won't have anything to interrupt this live broadcast, but I wanted to go live this evening because we've been talking about a lot of different things, right? A lot of a lot of different things, which the the... The more we talk about is wonderful because that's lots of content for you. But sometimes what can happen is we're, we're, we're doing this episode, we're doing this episode, and then a certain maybe theme emerges and we start doing extra programs about that. Maybe I'm answering questions, whatever the case may be. It's just one episode after another episode after another. And sometimes that can move us way far from other episodes that we were working on and other content that we needed to finish or to continue to move forward to a completion. In other words, a lot of other things can distract us. So what we're going to do this evening is I'm going to try to set aside all of the distractions. I'm going to try to set aside everything else we've been talking about, all the other series we've been working on. I'm going to try to set aside the distraction maybe of the weather going on right now behind me. I'm going to try to set aside all of that and on this kind of late evening broadcast, we're going to turn our attention right back to the imitation of Christ written by Thomas Akempis over 500 years ago. We have been working through this book now for, I think, at least two years. I don't have the official start date in front of me, but we have been working on it and working on it. And if you remember correctly, the whole reason I wanted everyone to find a copy of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis and start reading it is because I was extremely worried that once the pandemic became a big issue, that it was going to become a major distraction for many believers. It was going to dis- distract them from the things of God, and they were going to get caught up in conspiracy theories and politics and arguing and debating and this and this and this and this. And, this. and I kept trying to remind people that No, the pandemic could be a great opportunity that we could hopefully use it, you know, for, for, you know, to, to examine ourselves, to, to grow spiritually, for sanctification, to be challenged, to, to focus on the things of God, and that we could possibly come out of the pandemic better off spiritually than we went into it. However, if you looked at what happened in, uh, within the body of Christ during the pandemic, they got distracted, and it was arguing and debating, and and everything that occurred during the pandemic, we're not going to go through that, but it became a distraction. So this series was designed to keep you from being distracted. That was the goal. However, even in the midst of doing a series that's taking as long as this is taking, guess what happened? I find myself over and over being distracted. So a series designed to keep us from being distracted constantly gets delayed because of my own distractions. Is that, is that not ironic? Is that, yeah, I mean, what, what do you say about that? That I did not learn my own lesson, possibly, but I think every Christian, if they're honest, they struggle with being distracted. There's so many things that can distract you 
from staying focused on God's word, on the kingdom of God, on the things of God. There are a million things to distract us. Sometimes even other, I mean, even sometimes in your own Bible study, you will realize this. You're really trying to focus on, focus in on this passage, trying to figure out what it says. And the next thing you know, you're being distracted by this and this and this and this and this, and you forget what you were actually trying to figure out in the first place. But we are in the book, The Imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempis. Remember, the book is broken down into four, really four separate books. We are in book two, chapter eight. Book two, chapter eight. And before we, uh, I, I read anything before, because we're really just kind of start back from the beginning and just move through uh, a lot of things relatively quickly tonight. Um, but I wanted to at least get us back to this. So here's what I want to do. I want to remind you of a very important concept, all right? I guess three three concepts I want to remind you of. I want to remind you of the concept of relationship, the concept of fellowship, and the concept of sola scriptura. Three very important concepts, relationship, fellowship, and sola scriptura, which is the Latin phrase that just means scripture alone, which is very important, obviously coming out of the Protestant Reformation. This was a very, very important concept. And I think not only was it important in the uh, Protestant Reformation, because it was an argument, really, no, scripture alone is the final authority, not the church. The church isn't the final authority. The word of God is the final authority. That's what they were fighting in the Protestant Reformation. But as we've moved forward, especially once you see the birth of the modern-day charismatic movement in, in, in 1900, 1901, when you really see the emergence of the modern-day charismatic movement, well, then Sola Scriptura even becomes more critical because do you listen to God? Where do we hear from God? And we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's go through each one. All right, first, relationship. Remember, relationship speaks of connection. And by faith... In Christ and his finished work, obviously we receive the imputed righteousness, the righteousness of Christ is imputed to our account, and our relationship with God, we are connected to God, and that is an eternal, secure connection, because it's not based on what we do, it's based off the imputed, not infused, imputed righteousness of Christ. We are declared to be righteous. We are declared to be holy. We are declared to be without sin because we have received an imputed righteousness. Okay, that's very critical. Again, again, once again, separating us from Roman Catholicism that teaches an infused righteousness. So that connection is eternal. That connection is secure. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing we can do can separate us from God because we are saved by faith alone, because of Christ alone, due to an imputed righteousness. We are declared to be perfect righteous. Not that we are in practice, but we are in our position. That is connection. But even though you have that eternal connection with Christ and relationship, there is something called fellowship, which refers to closeness right? Connection is relationship. Closeness is fellowship. You can have the connection, an eternally secure connection, but you can lose that sense of being close to God. Hey, hey, your, your love can grow cold. Things can become, you become complacent, apathetic. You just don't feel that closeness that you once did. And once you lose that closeness, well, then there's major spiritual ramifications, and it can have 
negative, it can be a major spiritual pitfall that can have profound negative impact on your spiritual life. So we have relationship, connection, fellowship, which is closeness, and then scripture alone speaks of communication. Right? This is very important. Relationship, connection, fellowship, closeness, scripture alone, communication. How do we communicate with God? We communicate with God. Now, and how does God communicate with us? So let's, let's, this is very important. We communicate with God via prayer. That's where we share our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, our emotions, our failures, our hopes, our wants, our petitions, our intercessions, our confessions, our praise, our thanksgiving. We communicate with God in prayer. How does God communicate with us today? In the past, yes, he communicated in different ways, right? An, an audible way, visions, dreams. But with the completion of scripture, we believe all of those ways have ceased because if they haven't ceased, then the scriptures are, is not anything special, right? In other words, what's the point of having the inspired word of God in written form if God is talking to you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday through an audible voice, a still small voice, a dream, a vision? Well, then why do you need scripture when, well, God is talking to you around the clock? And many Christians speak that way. God told me this. God told me this. God. The only time I'm going to say God told me anything is when the next words out of my mouth are scriptures, okay? Because that's the inspired word of God. And not only that, if you try to try to decipher what God is supposedly telling you inside, well, how do you know what's God and how do you know what's you? Remember, inside of you is sin. You have a sinful nature. So trying to, it's just become spiritual anarchy trying to figure out, okay, wait a minute. Wait, wait, okay, I think that was God. No, that could be me. I mean, how are you ever going to know? And again, then what's the point of studying the Bible and reading the Bible and trying to figure out the Greek and the Hebrew and historical context and, and textual context and, and trying to figure out syntax and try, trying to figure out all the things you have to do in hermeneutics? What's the point if God is just speaking to you directly, right? And again, I I can't, I could tell you about all the Bible colleges and all the seminaries I attended, but I never saw one time God giving people the answer to the questions for their test in seminary or in Bible college or in Bible Institute. No, they had to study, they had to study, they had to study because God wasn't just simply giving us answers. And if there was a place you think God would just be giving us answers, why wouldn't it be in Bible college and seminary, right? And if God's giving every, if speaking to everyone, right? And everyone can hear from God, then why doesn't he just resolve all the doctrinal disputes that have occurred over 2,000 years of church history? Hey, everyone, here's what you're supposed to believe about baptism. Here, everyone, here's what you're supposed to believe about the Lord's Supper. Here's what you're supposed to believe about salvation. And it would be all resolved. It doesn't work that way. Um, we, he communicates to us through scripture. So we are connected in relationship. We are, closeness is involved in fellowship, right? And there's a lot of things that can impact that. And he communicates with us through scripture alone. Now those, why am I so emphasizing those concepts? Because we have reached a chapter in the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis called Familiar Converse with Jesus or Communicating with Jesus. Now, we need to remind ourselves of something. Thomas Akempis is writing from a Catholic perspective. Now, the reason we are looking at the book, even though it's written by Thomas Akempis, who was a Catholic monk, 
is because the book is one of those weird books that in some ways has had more of an influence in the non-Catholic world than it has in the Catholic world. Remember, the first place the book was introduced to me was an independent fundamental Baptist church who absolutely hated everything connected to Catholicism. I don't think they understood that Thomas Akempis was a Catholic. I don't know what they missed. There are many collections sometimes put out by Protestant publishers of, of the most influential books in church history. And over and over and over, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis will show up in those collections. So because of its influence, and because the book just gives you plenty to think about, that's why we have been studying it. So let's just jump in. Now, all of those concepts I just gave you are going to come into play because Thomas Akempis, when he speaks of communicating with Jesus, he's almost borrowing from Catholic mysticism, all right? Catholic mysticism, in many cases, I believe, is the forerunner of the modern-day charismatic movement. I think it would be hard to deny that. Right, so you had the, the Catholic mystics. There's a number of famous ones. We kind of mentioned a little bit uh, earlier this morning uh, about Catholic mysticism when we spoke of John of the Cross. So you can go back and listen to that episode. So Thomas Akempis is going to talk about relationship and a closeness with Jesus. And Thomas Akempis is going to be looking at it from the vantage point of mortal and venial sin. See, in the Catholic system, if you commit a mortal sin, you're no longer in a state of grace. So in a sense, you lose your connection with God. Well, for us, we can't lose our connection with God, but we can lose our closeness and our fellowship. So we have to use, I'm going to try to use the uh, different categories to try to apply what Thomas Akempis is trying to say. And he's going to speak of communicating with Jesus almost in a charismatic Catholic mystic way not through a scripture alone perspective, right? Does that, does, that, does that lay a good foundation? Okay, good. Everyone said yes. Everyone around the world, I just heard everyone. So yes, that was, that was awesome. That was amazing. Okay, right, probably not, but here we go. Are you ready? Let's see, let's see if we can come close to finishing this. Some of this I'm not going to review. I'm just going to read, give a, a quick explanation and move on because we've already done two episodes in this chapter. So I really want to advance this tonight. All right, here we go. When Jesus is present, all is good and nothing seems difficult. But when Jesus is absent, all is hard. Now, again, in Catholic terminology, Jesus is present. In other words, you're in a state of grace and nothing seems difficult. When Jesus is absent, all is hard. Well, you've committed a mortal sin and you're no longer in a state of grace. All right. So for us, obviously we believe Jesus is always present, right? He said he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He's always present. But we can say when Jesus is present, in other words, when Jesus is close and our fellowship with him, all is good and nothing seems difficult. But when Jesus seems absent or we're not in close fellowship with him, all becomes difficult, now, this is a concept that we can understand theoretically, the closeness of Jesus or Jesus seeming far away. I think the only way to really understand the concept, the theoretical concept, is probably the longer you've been a Christian. You have felt those times in your Christian life where you feel close to Christ, 
There's a there's a sweetness in the fellowship, and there are times when you, you just you feel like that Jesus. You almost feel like Jesus is just a theoretical concept. He's not even real, almost in your life. Well, then things become very difficult and hard in your spiritual life. So I think we could, we've all experienced that closeness and that distance. Closest, closeness and distance. I know I've experienced it. You've probably experienced it. Now, notice what he says here. When Jesus speaks not inwardly to us, all other comfort is worth nothing. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this. This is the Catholic mysticism coming in, where you're trying to hear Jesus speaking to you inwardly. Now, he says, if Jesus is not speaking to you inwardly, all the other comfort, all the other comfort is worth nothing. I reject this inward speaking concept because, again, how do you know that that's Jesus speaking to you? you, you I mean, it, it just becomes it's become spiritual chaos. So here's what I want to say. When the Word of God, right here next to me, Scripture alone, when the Word of God communicates to us inwardly, all other comfort is worth nothing. There are times where the word of God really just, it just jumps off the page and boom, it hits you and, and it's like everything is wonderful. And there's times that the word of God just seems it cannot, it just can't get past, you know, it just hits our forehead and bounces off. It just hits our ear and just falls to the ground. You all know there, there are times in your spiritual life where the word of God just seems, it, 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 you can feel that it's alive and every word is just awesome and you're, you're just, you're drinking it in. And there's times where it just can't seem to get inside of you. Well, when the word of God is not getting inside of you, all other comfort is worth nothing. No other comfort is of other comfort is not of any value if God's word is not speaking deep inside of you. But if Jesus speaks but one word, we feel great comfort. We find great comfort when I'm opening my Bible and I, it's just everything just seems to be clicking. Everything seems to be working. And I hate when I go through those spells where it's like, man, ah, oh. I, I, there's been plenty of times I've sat, well, I'm not at this particular table, but at a desk or a table, just going from scripture to scripture to scripture to scripture. And I'm like, oh man, I just, nothing seems, and sometimes I just have to say, okay, ignore the feeling ignore the emotion, study the text. It's still God's word. It's still powerful. And just keep studying and keep studying until that closeness comes back, right? But it's amazing because when you feel that, then one word, just one word, one scripture can bring the greatest comfort, even when everything in the world seems to be falling down and burning down around you. And then they use this example, did not Mary rise immediately from the place where she wept when Martha said to her, the master is come and calleth for thee. Happy hour when Jesus calls from tears to spiritual joy. There is great spiritual joy when the word of God is really just right there. And there can be a lot of reasons you experience that deadness. There, there can be, it can be because of sin. It can be just spiritual apathy, complacency. It's typically because your closeness with God has been disrupted by something in your life. Bitterness, unforgiveness. It can be a, it can be a million things. How dry and hard are you without Jesus? 
When, when there's a distance with Jesus, everything is dry. Everything is hard. There's just a dryness, a deadness in your spiritual life. How foolish and vain if you desire anything out of Jesus. Is not this a greater loss than if you should lose the whole world? Look, it's if you desire anything else other than Jesus, you're foolish. But here's what happens. When you lose that closeness with Jesus, when you lose it, then you lose a sense of contentment. You lose a sense of peace. You lose a sense of joy. And here's what we have a tendency to do. We go look elsewhere. They're like, well, I'm not, I'm just not... You're not feeling that contentment, that joy. So you start, start, stop looking to God's word. You stop looking to prayer and fasting, and you start looking in the world for that joy, for that contentment, for that peace, for that satisfaction, which then is massively detrimental to you spiritually because then that keeps you from going back to the very thing that you need for comfort, for peace, for contentment, which is God. Right, so it's just it's it. What happens is the discontentment, this deadness, this dryness, makes you look to something else to give that to you, which then keeps you away from the very thing that can fix it. So uh, uh, Thomas Akempis asks, "Is not this the greater loss? That if you should lose the whole, uh, is not this a great greater loss than if you should lose the whole world? The greater loss is losing that closeness to Jesus. That is great, a greater loss than losing the whole world." It would be better to lose the whole world and keep your closeness with Jesus. You can't lose your connection, all right, but you can lose your closeness. What can the world profit you without Jesus? To be without Jesus is a grievous hell, and to be with Jesus a sweet paradise. If Jesus is with you, no enemy shall be able to hurt you. He who finds Jesus finds a good treasure, yea, a good above all good. And he who loses Jesus loses much indeed, yea, more than the whole world. Poor is he who lives without Jesus and the rich, and rich is he who is well with Jesus. Now, again, I'm trying to make sure you understand this according to Thomas Akempis. He's referring to not being in a state of grace. Again, you commit a mortal sin, you're no longer in a state of grace. You've got to find a way to get back into a state of grace. And if you don't die in a state of grace, well, you don't even make it to purgatory. You're going to go to hell. You've got to die in a state of grace even to get to purgatory within the Roman Catholic system. So when he's talking about losing Jesus, he's he's talking about connection. I want you to understand it in light of fellowship. When we're in closeness with Jesus, everything is... Is much better, but when we lose that, it, it's bad. And then we start looking everywhere else for, for that comfort, for that peace, for that satisfaction. It is great skill to know how to hold converse with Jesus and to know how to keep Jesus. Great wisdom, great... Okay, I'm going to read this again. It is great skill to know how to hold converse with Jesus and to know how to keep Jesus great wisdom. So he said, it's a great skill to know how to converse with Jesus. Well, let me make it very clear. It is a great skill to converse with Jesus in, as far as this, the word of God. It is a great skill in knowing how to read it, how to rightly divide it, how to meditate upon it, how not to misinterpret it, not to twist it to your own destruction. So it is a great skill to converse with Jesus, but it's not some mystical skill 
It's not trying to decipher some still small voice. No, no, no. It's opening your Bible, digging in, reading, meditating, studying, observation, interpretation, application, all of the steps that we've talked about over and over and over and over and over and over again. So it is a great skill. It is a great skill, but it's a skill of study. It's not a skill of some mystical skill. It's not like, oh, I've got the ability to to hear God's voice unlike anybody else. No, it's your ability to hear God's voice is your ability to read his word. That's where he is speaking. That's where he's communicating with you, right? And and you you want to learn how to communicate with Jesus through studying his word, and you want to know how to keep his great wisdom, which is found within his word. Be humble and peaceable, and Jesus will be with you. Be devout and quiet, and Jesus will stay with you. As you develop the skill to study, remain humble and peaceable. The one who studies God's word the most should be the most humble and should be peaceable. We need to be devout and quiet. For sometimes we know we're not studying God's word correctly because it makes us arrogant, proud, and not peaceable. That's when we know we're doing things wrong. Next paragraph. We're making making progress. Let's see if we can do this. We're at 25 minutes. Here we go. You may soon drive away Jesus and lose his favor if you turn aside to outward things. In other words, you can now, and again, Thomas Akempis is looking at this from mortal sin, venial sin concept. Let me read it the way we're trying to apply this. You may soon drive away that closeness with Jesus and lose his that, that feeling of closeness, his favor, if you turn aside to outward things. If you're turning yourself to outward things, those outward things will ultimately eat away at your closeness with Jesus. This is a horrible illustration but let me see if this will work, all right? You are out with your spouse, all right? And you're having a, an evening and there's there's a closeness there. There's an intimacy there. Even if there's not words being said, it's just a great feeling. Everything's wonderful. And all of a sudden you turn and you're like, oh, oh, look at that. Okay, maybe you're a female and you're like, man, that guy's, guy's hot. Man, I, oh, he has a good sense of humor. And the next thing you know, you're not even really talking to your husband anymore. You're talking to this guy. You're like, so where are you from? Tell me about your family. And you just completely turn to this other person, this other person, and you, you give them your focus and your attention. Well, guess what? Let me go back to those words. You're going to drive away the person you came, who you came with. You're going to drive them away. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to since lose their favor because you've turned to something else. We turn, we, we, we have this closeness with Jesus. And then we're like, wait a minute, wait, wait, one second, Jesus Uh, over here. Oh, oh, look at that. That's awesome over there. Oh, things in the world, man. That's awesome. And you start loving the things in the world and you start giving your attention to the things of the world. And well, you're going to lose that closeness with Jesus because in a sense, you're the one who walked away from Jesus to go give your attention to this other this other thing. So in a sense, you begin to commit spiritual adultery. Right? That is, Israel did it over and over and over again. They turned away from the God who saved them to false gods. I've done it. You've done it. 
What are those outward things? Think about it this. I really want you to imagine this picture. You're out, in a sense, on a date. Okay, think of this. You're out with Jesus. Okay, I don't want to, I don't want to so, I don't want to in any way take away any reverence, but you're there with Jesus. If you don't want to use the term date, you're there with Jesus, right? And what are the things that are most easily going to distract you to turn your attention away from him. Now, I know you can give me the church answer. I would never turn my attention away from Jesus. He is my savior and I love him. Okay, I'm not looking for your your your, your robe of self-righteousness. What are those things? You need to identify what are the things that are most likely turn your attention away from Jesus? What is it? Well, what is more attractive to you than Jesus? What is it? Well, I, I can, I can, I can, I can give you all of mine. Okay, I can give you a list of mine. I know what mine are. You probably know what yours is. So when, when and here's what happens: we now, please know what happens. We see these other things. We turn our attention. Now we lose that closeness with Jesus. And guess what happens when we lose that closeness with Jesus? We lose peace. We lose joy. We lose contentment, and we become miserable and unhappy and we can't and so we may, we may blame our unhappiness on our spouse we may blame blame our unhappiness on our job we may blame our unhappiness on where we're living on our boss and reality all of our discontentment all of our unhappiness may have nothing to do with our spouse nothing to do with our kids may not even have anything to do with our circumstances it may have to do that we lost our closeness with Jesus because we've turned our attention to other things and as long as your attention is on other things, you can't get that closeness and that peace and that joy and that contentment back. And so you'll, in many cases, start blaming everyone else and become more bitter and more frustrated and may destroy relationships because you're well looking for what only Jesus can provide. All right, let me read that again. You may soon drive away Jesus and lose his favor if you turn aside to outward things. And if you should drive him from you and lose him, unto whom will you go and whom will you then seek for your friend? Once you drive him away, where are you going to turn? Once you lose that closeness, what are you going to turn to? I'm telling you, whatever you turn to is a cheap, cheap substitute that will not satisfy. Maybe we'll give you a temporary boost like a sugar high, but you're going to come crashing down. Without a friend, you cannot, without a friend, you cannot live well. And if Jesus is not above all a friend to you, you shall be indeed sad and desolate. You act therefore, now these are the words of Thomas Kempis, all right? So don't get mad at me, all right? Here's his words. You act therefore like an idiot, if you trust or rejoice in any others, that's his word. You act like an idiot. And I know you, you probably shouldn't say that from the pulpit, but that's what Thomas Akempis says. You act like an idiot if you trust or rejoice in any other. If you turn and trust in any other thing, you are being an idiot because it's you're ultimately going to end up unhappy, unsatisfied, lack of contentment, miserable, upset, and you're going to blame everyone else for it. And what you need is that closeness with Jesus. It is preferable to have all the world against us rather than to have Jesus offended with us. I want you to hear that again. This is very good. It is preferable to have the entire world against you rather than to have Jesus offended 
with you, or the way he wrote it, it is preferable to have all the world against us rather than to have Jesus offended with us. Among all therefore that be dear unto us, let Jesus alone be specially beloved. Now, I'm going to stop right here because I just feel at least conviction within me. And I'm pretty sure there's someone listening who is feeling the same kind of conviction. I, I, I have a feeling. So let me ask you a question. Or let me challenge you on something. The next time you find yourself maybe frustrated, unhappy, irritated with your spouse, with your kids, with your job, with your circumstances, with your finances, with your car, with your house, you're just irritated, unhappy, frustrated, mad, discouraged, depressed. You just name the negative emotion. The next time, I want you to just stop and ask yourself, is it possible that what I'm really experiencing is a lack of closeness with Christ? I've lost the sweet fellowship with Christ, therefore I've now become unhappy, disgruntled, discouraged, and depressed, and I'm blaming everyone else. Now that that's a that's a that's a convicting question. I have found myself in situations where I feel frustrated or or not understood or they don't get me or or they're not sensitive enough to my needs and and I'm unhappy and I'm and then what you do is w- w- the real issue is maybe those things are there maybe maybe they didn't treat you right maybe they're not sensitive enough maybe they don't help you maybe maybe there are reasons to be frustrated but I think if we have a closeness with Jesus it can override that but here's what happens once we start finding that the other person or the other circumstances are irritating to us, we almost always turn to a solution to make us feel better that is not biblical and typically it's spiritually detrimental. When you're frustrated, whatever it may be, and you're like, but but, but you got to understand, I was experiencing this. I think a closeness with Jesus, a sweet fellowship with Jesus, in theory, should override that. I think that's a very, very important concept. I'm, I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to stop right there. I know it's like, wait a minute, we, are you sure? I, I think I've given you enough here to just, ha- I mean, you should be able to spend hours thinking about some of this stuff. I am going to read that one quote again. It is preferable to have the entire world against us rather than to have Jesus offended with us. Among all, therefore, that be dear unto us, let Jesus alone be specially beloved. We want Jesus to be that specially beloved thing because that brings us peace and contentment and should be able to override anything else. But I think sometimes we project our lack of closeness with Jesus, therefore we lose that happiness, that contentment, that joy, and we project that unhappiness onto other people and say, you're the reason, you're the reason, you're the reason. You're the reason. And it may be it's our lack of closeness with Jesus. Relationship is connection. Praise God. Nothing can sever that. Nothing can separate that. Nothing. Fellowship is closeness. And that has a lot to do with us. 
and scripture is our mean is communication how god communicates with us which is very communication is key and closeness right you can see how those fit together right i'll just let that sit i'll let you do what you wish with that i'll let you do what you wish with that i'm just waiting to make sure no one posts anything in the in the chat all right I'm going to check the Discord channel because sometimes people will post something in the Discord channel and I don't see till after. Okay, nothing in the Discord channel. All right. I think we're good to go. All right. I think that's awesome. And the good thing is, notice, do you hear that? The wind has kind of just gone. I don't hear any rain. I don't hear any thunder. Everything's quiet. Now, I don't know where you are, but it's 10.21 p.m. where I am. This may be that perfect time of night where there is quiet and there is stillness. And I hope you'll spend some time meditating on what we just discussed and maybe take a step closer to Christ and maybe rekindle and recapture some of the closeness that you may have lost for a number of different reasons. I think this is a good time to do just that. All right. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening to this special late night edition of the Theology Central Podcast. May God bless you as you meditate on these very important spiritual principles.